anybody can put it on the ground, but what's going to happen after it's on the ground? You know, anybody can live life. Everybody gets to live their own life. But what are they going to do with it? Are you going to make it beautiful and stamp it and color it and do that to it? Or are you going to just not know what the heck you're doing with it and have a mess and you got to jackhammer it out the next day? Okay, that was Joe Harding. And this is the Journey Through Life podcast. I'm Justin Barton, the host of the Journey Through Life podcast, and I'm super excited to release again this conversation I had with Joe Harding a few months back. This was one of my favorite ones because of the growth that happened with me as well as with the guest during this conversation. And I look forward to having a follow-up conversation with him in the next few months again. Now, if you have not already subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast, I'd like to invite you to take a second right now to go to your podcast um, app on your phone or wherever you're listening to this and scroll down and find where it says subscribe or follow or like and take care of that right now. I would also be super grateful if you went to your Facebook or Instagram page and typed in journey through life podcast or jtl podcast and followed us there and liked us there also now as always i'm super excited to announce our partners and the first and the one that we've been with the longest so far is a life untold now a life untold is a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book their process is designed to be easy for anyone all you have to do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life you can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone after that interview is complete a life untold takes over and designs prints and delivers your life story as a hardcover book to your door This makes a great gift to a loved one in your life and will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something that your family will treasure for generations. That's much like what we're trying to do with the Journey Through Life podcast, is allow people the opportunity to share the things that are most important to them in an audio form. Now, A Life Untold does it in a book form, and it's super cool. Now, remember that upon checkout at alifeuntold.com, if you use the promotional code Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, at checkout, you will save 10% on those orders, and that's really a fantastic deal. I look forward to getting back testimonials from listeners to this show as to how things went and are is going with A Life Untold. Now, I'd like to talk about our newest partner that works with us here at the Journey Through Life podcast, It's Shepherd Brackets. Now, Shepherd Brackets innovated and created a brand new style of bracket to support floating shelves. Now, if you've never seen a floating shelf, you should go look it up. They're super cool. They look like they're just floating on the wall, like there's no no visible hardware that holds them up. Well, one of the issues with floating shelves over the years has been that it's hard to create a bracket that is strong enough to hold up a solid wood shelf a high-quality solid wood shelf, and also pretty much anything you would like to put on that shelf. Well, Shepherd Brackets has changed that, and they've also made it so that you can place that shelf almost anywhere on a wall as long as there's room to do so. 
Now, you may ask yourself, why would the Journey Through Life podcast partner with a bracket manufacturing and creating company? Well, to me, it seems quite obvious. Where do we place the things that are of most value to us, the heirlooms we receive from people who have gone on before us, whether it be pictures or memorabilia or whatever it may be, the legacy that they left, the things that are in our mind. Well, I place those in a place of honor and they are of great value to me. So I want to put them on a safe place and a high quality shelf supported by shepherd brackets is definitely a safe place for those items of importance. So that's why we've teamed up with Shepherd Brackets. Now, to check out their brackets and to decide how you best want to create a shelf and a place of honor in your home for the most important things in your life, go to shepherdbrackets.com. That's S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D-B-R-A-C-K-E-T-S.com and check them out. And if you decide to buy a bracket or any of the other mounting equipment that they provide, Um, When you check out, make sure you use the promotional code JUSTIN at checkout. And that's all I have for announcing our partners now. Just remember to stay tuned afterwards to hear the next In Their Own Words episode. Now, on to this conversation with Joe Harding. Sit back and enjoy. Joe, well, tell me a little bit about where you come from. Where, tell me about maybe your parents or grandparents, some of the first people you remember having a good influence in your life. Uh, well, probably the start would be my dad, number one. Um, he, uh, I went to live with my dad when I was five. Okay. Um, through the state and whatnot. Got back, he got me back from my mom. Mm. And I've lived with my dad ever since I was five in California. Um, just grew up in California until I was, what, 11? 11 years old in 1991 when me and my dad moved up here, 92. Hmm. Uh, we moved to Medical Lake. Um, just grew up in Medical Lake as the only child hmm. until I was 13 or 14, and then my dad met my mom, hmm. which is my mom, Tina. Hmm. Um, she's a good lady. She's been my mom ever since. Really, the only mom I ever really knew and ever really had since I was a little kid. So, um, she had her own two kids, and then they had my little sister Lola. Um, when I was 16, 17 years old, I think my dad had my little sister. They had my little sister Lola. Mm-hmm. Um, went through high school, graduated, didn't really get too big into anything in high school other than just being a kid. And, Wrestled a little bit, did a little bull riding. Oh. Um, that was pretty exciting. I worked a lot. I've been working. I've been working since I was uh, in high school, really. Started mm-hmm. working at Yokes mm-hmm. out there in Airway Heights, um, cutting meat, the meat department. I think I never really became a journeyman meat cutter, but mm-hmm. I probably have enough hours to consider myself a journeyman meat cutter. Okay. Um, I had all that done about 20 years old, I think. Mm. So I graduated when I was 19. Quit working at Yolks when I was 20, and then I started pouring concrete. I went to years of concrete, been pouring concrete ever since. Mm. Um, 
So, so let me jump back a little bit here. You mentioned that it was at about five years old when you went and lived with your dad. What, what yeah. types of memories do you have from before you were five? Do you have much in your mind of, of what your life was like? Why, you know, what happened in those times? Um, I really don't really. I mean, I remember some of it in and out of uh, the, I guess the people call it the system. Oh, okay. Um, in and out of foster home. Hmm. I, uh, from what I was told from my mother is that she just decided she wanted to move to Missouri. My dad was in California. Mm-hmm. She was from Missouri, so she went back home to see her mom with me. And that's where we ended up staying. She got in trouble for something. I still don't know what. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going into foster home mm-hmm. with my little brothers that she had from another guy that I don't know. Right. And we ended up being in a foster home for a couple years mm-hmm. to all together as all three of my me and my two brothers. And somehow it came up for my dad because he was on my birth certificate, I assume. So they got a hold of him and said that here's Joe, he's in the foster home, whatever, whatever. Do you wanna have him? He's yours. And my dad said, Yeah, and he amazingly quit drinking. Mm. Um, my dad, I've never seen him drink. Wow. Never seen him do any drugs. He quit drinking to get me, and I moved with him when I was five. So that's really cool. He, so, so apparently previous to that, he was having, he, he drank a lot. He did drugs, mm-hmm. whatever. But because of the um, responsibility and opportunity to, to, to bring you into his life, he, he chose to stop those things. Huh? Yeah, he sobered up completely. And... Uh, Flew me from Missouri to California to live with him. Wow. Did he just go cold turkey? Did he go through like a 12-step program? How, no, how did I, he do that? I think he went through the Alcohol Anonymous and the 12-step uh-huh. program. Uh-huh. I don't really, he doesn't really do it anymore. Right. I mean, it's been 30 years. Right. So going 34, 35 years now. Yeah, that's awesome. So, that's, I mean, I know, I know he fought it pretty hard from what he has told me. You know, like I said, I've never seen him drink or anything. Mm-hmm. So I really don't know other than what I've heard. Right. But uh, he's, yeah, he's been sober for a long time. That's really cool. And, and, you know, I can only imagine putting myself in what I assume maybe he felt when he got that phone call. Hey, we got Joe here. You want him? That would be quite a shocker, I think, to the system. Yeah, it would be. And it just, and then just to be the man that he was to step up and say, okay. You know, sure. Five years later, I mean, you know, he hasn't seen me since I was a couple weeks old. Yeah. Five years later, he gets a phone call saying, hey, here's your son. We found him. Do you want him? And he said, yeah. Well, here's the hoops you get to jump through. Make sure you're right. Make sure you're qualified to have a kid. And he did it. You know, and that was back in 1985. Yeah. You know, totally different than what it is today. Yeah. What uh, so so? There's some really cool qualities that your dad has there. How would you define those qualities? Um, what would you call that quality that your dad has that made him make all those changes to bring you into his life? Amazing. Um, me being a parent and looking back to what the situations are that I'm dealing with today with all of my children that I have, mm-hmm. for my dad to be able just to do that and completely change his life. I mean, that's life-changing. I was his only kid, you know, just 
out of nowhere to completely turn your life around and to be able to stick to it and achieve it and be that person for the rest of your life as an image, I guess, you know? I look at my dad as a sober person. I've never seen him not sober. And for him to have the power to stay that way is amazing. Yeah. You know, because I haven't been able to. Mm. <laughs> no, absolutely not have I ever been able to stay sober with my family and my kids. Mm. And it's stressful. Yeah. And for him to not have that crutch to lean on or that excuse, I said it while I was drunk or I did this while, I, you know, yeah. it takes a lot. And it's just amazing to me that he can do that. Wow. Well, and that, thank you for sharing that. What are some other qualities that your dad instilled into you, um, you know, as, as, as a youth and as a young, young man? Um, to work. Um, work is mainly, but, you know, of course, to respect the elders, you know, don't talk back, you know, don't, all that stuff. It was, I, I got a lot of whoopings when I was a kid <laughs> and got my mouth washed out a few times and the respect of it a lot for the elders it's got to be of course the top of the list mm. but work they pounded into me and to make me work and work and work as much as I have that's all I know yeah you know and I got that from him because that's what he did you know he's been a heavy equipment operator and I always wanted to be that I always want to run them big loaders and do this and do that and huh. just fell in love with working that's all I really know so did you love work from a child from from early childhood? You, yeah. It did. You didn't have too many resentments against your dad for him making you no work. I got a picture on my phone from probably 1988. It's my actually screensaver on my phone uh-huh. of me swinging a sledgehammer, splitting firewood. Uh-huh. Um, and I look at it every single day, every single time I pick up my phone, it's on there, and it just reminds me of those days, you know, back in the 80s when we didn't have the stupid Nintendos and <laughs> play all the stuff that the kids do that they just don't even want to do anymore because they're on their phones yeah. or hanging out. Well, we didn't have that when we were kids. So we were out playing in the dirt and yeah. finding something to do. Well, Dad put a hammer in my hand or a shovel. Mm-hmm. So I've been running a shovel for a long time. Started yeah. scooping up dog poop. Mm. From dog poop to dog poop much to heavier stuff, huh? Slinging concrete now. Yeah. Well, not anymore, but. Right, right. Well, let's 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 get into that a little bit here. So, about a year and a half ago, um, you had you had this life changing experience. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what led up to it, and then what happened? Um. Well, I decided. To Man. Yeah, a year and a half ago, I broke my neck. Um, I went from being a crazy party animal, drinking and working and drinking some more, to thought I was going to be a young kid again, I guess, and we bought a dirt bike. Probably shouldn't have bought a fast as a dirt bike as we did, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how. I just, we decided to do it. We 
I say we, it was my buddy's bike. It wasn't my bike. Mm. Um, I helped him buy it. And I just happened to be the one to get hurt on it. And luckily, it was right across the street, not too far away. So what, what you were just riding down the street then? Yeah, we were going to go to the uh, Joe Albee Stadium that night on a Friday to go watch our daughter, Taisley, cheer for the uh, Battle of the Bell game. Mm. And Teresa was at work. I hadn't, wasn't working that day. And had some drink, a few beers, probably more than I should have because we weren't allowed to drink beer at the Joe Albee Stadium. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to have a few beers before we went to the football game. Well, that led to too many. And I was going to just ride that dirt bike real quick and put it away before Teresa got home from work. I knew she was on her way home. It was 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go spin around the block real quick and come back and park it. And I made it to the street right there and hit the curb or something. Mm. I don't know what happened. Um, I remember saying by saying one of my buddies was pulling up to hang out for a minute, and I told him I'd be right back. And his brother was sitting here, Austin, waiting for me. And uh, I don't know. I remember looking over my shoulder, getting out in the middle of the street, and I remember seeing the curb. And that's all I really remember. And I. I remember hearing some dude walk over the top of me, ask me if I was okay. And I said, I'm not okay, and I need you to call Teresa. And I gave him Teresa's number and woke up in the hospital, I think, the next day. Hmm. It might have been the same day. I'm not sure. But it, yeah, woke up in the hospital, <laughs> staring at the lights, wondering what's happening. So what, what, did, what, what thoughts went through your head I mean, were you very lucent when you came to in the hospital the next day? Could you figure out, hey, you're wondering what's going on? And then what thoughts came went through your head as you're starting to grasp what, what's happening? Um, the first thought was, was where was the dirt bike at? Mm-hmm. And that I was going to, obviously I wanted to ride it again. Mm-hmm. Wondering what happened, you know, I didn't know what happened. I wasn't really didn't understand I guess mm-hmm. what was going on and I didn't know that my legs weren't going to work I didn't know I wasn't going to be able to walk mm-hmm. and it just I didn't accept it at that time because I was confused about it I guess I can say mm-hmm. and what my life's going to be like now. You know, because the doctors were telling me that I'm not going to walk. They were telling me that I wasn't going to move my hands, that I wasn't going to do anything at first. Mm-hmm. So I was going to be a vegetable, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I was still alive. Yeah. And I just, I really didn't know how to take it. So I just kind of played it off, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just, okay, whatever, whatever. I was confused. So when the doctor said, you're not going to be able to walk or really do anything on your own the rest of your life, what emotions went through your head at that time? I, yeah, I was mad. Mm-hmm. 
because I didn't know if I wanted to live anymore. Mm. <laughs> that was the main one. Mm. But I knew I had to. And I knew I need to. Why did you know you had to or needed to live? Because of my family. Yeah. I have children and a beautiful wife that I have, you know, I need to be here for. And for that big of an emotion to, I don't even know. It's like it would have brought me to my knees if I could have stood up and fell to my knees, I guess. Yeah. But I couldn't fall to my knees because I was just paralyzed. Yeah. You know, just your eyeballs. That's all I had for the first month, I would think, that I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital for three months. Yeah. In the first month, I pretty much just had eyeballs to move. Mm. And it, you know, I, I couldn't really cry about it. I don't think I really cried in the hospital until towards the end of being in the hospital. What triggered you crying when towards the end of the hospital? Why, why did you do it then? Because I, after being in the hospital for the few months that I was in there, or the couple months, whenever I did finally break down and realize that I was paralyzed, you know, that's really a hard thing to swallow. Mm-hmm. Everything's taken away from you. Mm-hmm. Now you just get to look at life. Mm-hmm. You know, to not be able to use my hands anymore is ridiculous. And it's just the whole entire change. And you, you have no choice but to accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a choice. It's not something you get to pick of what kind of condition you're going to be in. It's, it's given to you. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. So, the first time I met you, you had just gotten home. Mm -hmm. And I remember you had very little movement in your left hand. That was all you had at that time. And I was like, man, it's awesome he has movement in his left hand, but I'm sure that was not, you know. But tell me the oh, first time you realized I've got some, I've got <laughs> something going on here. Tell that's, me, tell me about that. That's hilarious. Um, I was still in the hospital. It was, uh, I'd have to say, a week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about a week before Christmas, my neighbor down here brought her daughters to the <laughs> hospital. They brought me. Uh, they stopped at Dick's downtown and brought me a milkshake. Hmm. and uh, just stopped in to say, hey, Merry Christmas, whatever. And uh, I was laying in bed, laying in bed like this, and Tiffany was feeding me my milkshake, and she put it down, and I had asked her, I said, hey, can you give me some more of that shake? And her little daughter, Kicker, said, well, why don't you just feed it yourself? Why can't you just do it yourself, Joe? What's wrong with you? You know, just making fun of me. Mm. Well, being the lovely little kid that she is, I went to pop her upside her head because we know her so well. You know, right, she's part right. of the family. So I went to hit her, uh-huh. I guess, upside the head. Like, shut up, you little kid. Leave me alone. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize my hand moved, but it flinched when I went to do it. Huh. So I was like, holy cow, man, my hand just moved. What the heck just happened? Uh-huh. And this is, I'd already been in the hospital for two months. Mm. No, it was longer than that. almost... Two and a half months, we were just getting ready to go to St. Luke's huh. to come home. It was like two weeks before I came home, my hand moved. And anyway, so I went to hit her, and my hand moved, and I looked at Tiffany, and I asked her, I said, did you just see that? 
She said, I see what? And I went to do it again and it flexed again and just again and again and again. Huh. And it just was that little bitty, that little bitty movement was just crazy to be able to go to hit and it reacted after a month of not being able to do anything. It so just, a light went on. Yeah. So what were your emotions when you realized, oh my heck, I was able to. I was able to move. move. So as soon as that happened, I was like, holy cow, if I can move that, then I'm going to be able to walk again. Mm. These doctors don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Great. I was happy. I was excited. Um, it, I prayed a lot in the hospital. Mm. I, I've never been a real big prayer in my life, mm-hmm. but I did pray a lot in the hospital. Um, I talked to the the guys and the, the pastors or whatever that mm-hmm. come walking around in the hospitals for you, but I talked to those guys a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I remember praying a lot and asking for my hands. Just give me my hands. Just give me all I want is my hands. Mm. So let me move my arm, something, mm. you know. And then that had happened. So once that happened, I really believed that I was going to walk and everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be as bad as they say, mm. you know. And Tiffany, the neighbor, she asked if she could post it on Facebook or whatever to let everybody see and this and that. And I told, I remember getting to tell Teresa that day that that happened and it was just the excitement and all my kids, everybody was just so happy and just, it was amazing, the feeling. It was like something just got lifted off of me, like, holy cow, it's just going to work. And could you feel that too when you moved it or was it no. just, do you, do you have feeling in there now? No, I can't pretty much feel anything past my forearms there. here. Okay. Yeah. I can feel a little bit on my thumbs, but that's about it. Okay. I can't feel any of my fingers. Mm. So now I want to go back a little bit. Your dad put the love of work, <laughs> hard work in you. He taught you those things. Has that been of benefit to you? How has that been of benefit to you over the last year and a half? This the work. It. It's been a benefit, but it actually has kind of been an opposite of a benefit, like a negative. Mm. Because all I know is work. Mm-hmm. And all I do is, all I've done is work, you know, concrete, concrete. That's all that's in my brain for the last 15 years, you know. And I don't get to do it anymore. So it negative, you know, I get a negative from it too. So I don't get it. I don't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, sensation, mm-hmm. I guess to say, of being able to go out and bust my ass and mm-hmm. come home hurting from working all day. Yeah. I don't get that anymore, but it does benefit me too, though, because it gives me that power to try to work towards the stuff every day. And it's hard to keep that mind frame to work and work and work mm-hmm. at it because it's slowly, it's a slow process now. Yeah, you don't you don't get to lay the forms and mm-hmm. in one day and pour the, no, the cement the next day. Yeah. There's no wham bam thank you man to this right now. It's all slow motion. Mm. You get what you get, so, but you still have to work at it. You know, I still have to get up every day and work, or I I notice I get more uh, depressed, mm. more uh, not wanting to do it, not wanting to keep going if I don't get up. 
So what, what motivates you now to get up and do the work you can do to continue to progress slowly? Um, just the motivation of to get up every day is it can, you know, I, I do feel it's going to get better. I know it's going to take a long time. Um, I know when I get up every day, my family's a lot happier than when I'm just laying in bed doing nothing. Because mm-hmm. I actually am out and involved in family. You know, we we try to go do things when we can't mm-hmm. as a family. So that that helps me as well as it helps the family too because it's just as hard as on them as it just as me. Yeah. Well, I don't know, just as hard, but it's pretty damn hard for them too. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, so tell me what progress has been made in your physical recovery over the last 18 months. I mean, you see, you mentioned the little movement in your left hand. Mm-hmm. What else? What, um, what else can you do now that you couldn't 18 months ago? I can move both my arms now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I still don't have any tricep muscles. I guess they say. Okay. But my biceps, both arms work, and my forearms. I don't have any fingers mm-hmm. in either hand. None of my fingers work. Um, I can sit up pretty well on my own. You know, I got pretty good sit and balance now compared to where I was 18 months ago. That's, I I progress that every day. I feel my sitting balance gets better. Yeah. Every single day. Working on that six-pack. Mm-hmm. Get, yeah. Get my six-pack back. Yeah. So uh, other than that, I mean, it, I, I can feed myself now. That's awesome. Um, brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff, just little hygiene, stuff like that. Um, but other than that, it's still a hassle. Everybody yeah. has to do everything for me. Yeah. Um, I don't have any legs yet. I don't have any feeling below Probably about my rib cage, okay. mid stomach or so is where I lose all my feeling. Mm. So it's it's a slow process, but yeah. I get there. You're you're working and you're doing. I mean, like I said, from the first time I met you till till now, the the physical difference is massive. Mm-hmm. And I I'm sure it's really frustrating, but I'm sure there's some hope. You know, the the do you, what what kind of hope do you feel? What is your hope? Oh, well, obviously, I hope that I can walk. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably never going to happen, though. Mm. I still try to say probably never going to happen, but in reality, it's never going to happen. I'm gonna, yeah. I'll be in this wheelchair for the rest of my life. Mm. And uh, so that's really a hard thing to swallow mm. and accept, but I'm still just... I still hope I can walk someday, you know? I don't really hope... Just, I don't know what I'm gonna really hope I get out of this. You mm-hmm. know? It just, other than just wanting to hope it would just all go away, it's not gonna though. So I just used the little things, you know. It started with a hand, went to the right hand, then it started to be where I can sit up more, and just. It all is going to progress just slowly. So I just, I really just hope it would go faster. Yeah. But. Have you ever been a very patient person in your life? 
only time I was ever patient was when I was watching concrete dry. <laughs> in That's the winter time. That is really interesting. Because you have really no choice but to be patient with it. But you can't speed it up. Huh? No, I'm I'm a pretty patient guy, I guess. I don't really get yeah, I'm really not a patient guy. Just hurry up right now. Yeah. Especially being in this condition because I can't do anything for myself. So I have to learn those patients. It's simple as getting in and out of the car. Like, yeah, I'm used to throwing the key in the ignition and going or pulling the ignition key out and jumping out of the car real quick. Well, now I don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. I have to wait for everybody else to get out of the way, for them to unstrap me, for the wheelchair ramp to go up and down. Just yeah. getting in and out of the car takes 20 minutes now compared to it used to only take a minute or two. Yeah. So my patience level has grown a lot. But I don't really, I've never really been a patient guy. I have a daughter named Patience, though. Hmm. <laughs> Believe it or not. Wow. What are your goals moving forward in life? Not just in, you know, physical recovery. What types of things do you want to accomplish moving forward? Well, obviously I have to, I'm going to have to find something else to do in life other than being the physical construction person that I was. So I hope, hope to achieve something in that someday. Um, I'd like to move, I guess, eventually. Um, I mean, I don't know really what further achievements that I can really do at this point. You know, I'm gonna have to find something else to do, I guess, in life other than what I've done. Yeah. What types of interests do you have that you're thinking, oh, I, can, I might be able to do that? Well, I've been thinking about really just going back to school. Mm. Um, maybe being a counselor or, uh, you know, work towards, like, helping kids or helping even people in this position that I'm in. Yeah. You know, figuring out different ways, because there's really nothing to do for the quadriplegic that I am. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to find things to do, especially in Spokane. Yeah. There's, you know, there's not very many programs that we found and stuff like that. So it would be really cool to set up a big program for either people in my condition or, mm -hmm. you know, or even kids, help kids that are struggling and get them on their feet or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Make a big youth group or something. I don't know, some kind of counseling would be an interest because obviously they don't have to do anything but talk. So Right. I guess I just have to go to school to learn how to talk. <laughs> so what's holding you back from that? Uh, nothing. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm still new with this, so, you know. Yeah. It's not a really a big rush right now. Right. I'm focusing on, on getting more independent than working on getting into school right now. Teresa's going through school right now, too, so. What's she, what's she going to study? She's working on her uh, paralegal oh. program. Very good. Very good. Um, who are some people who have been an inspiration to you in your life? Who have, whether you know them personally or you see them and you know their work from books or talks they've done or whatever that kind of drive, that are inspirational to you? Dang, that's a hard one there. Mm. Um, obviously, my dad is mm -hmm. an inspiration. Um, just to be able to 
his sobriety, man, that that's just a crazy thing to be able to do. Mm. Um, when I was uh, younger in school, my inspiration, you know, would be like uh, watching guys ride bulls and stuff. Mm. You know, those, those guys are amazing. So I wanted to be that. So I tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, riding, you know, seeing guys do the stupid things on dirt bikes. You know, that was amazing. So I wanted to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really spent a lot of time pouring concrete. There's something about it that got me going. Mm. Well, how does pouring concrete relate to life? I mean, can you take life lessons out of your work with concrete? that you could teach somebody else, hey, that's just like pouring concrete. Let me teach you something. Because it's going to get hard. Um, There's there's a step to it. You know, it's the drive to accomplish at the end result when it's done. You know, anybody can put it on the ground, but what's going to happen after it's on the ground? You know, anybody can live life. Everybody gets to live their own life. But what are they going to do with it when it's there and it's handed to you? Here you go. Here's your here's your concrete truck full of life. We're going to give it to you. We're going to give it to everybody and let everybody figure out what they're going to do with it. Are you going to make it beautiful and stamp it and color it and do that to it? Or are you going to cut... 1,500 joints in it and broom it in 10 different directions? Or are you going to just cut one joint in it and call it good? Or are you going to just not know what the heck you're doing with it and have a mess and you got to jackhammer it out the next day? You, know, you can look at life that way. Mm. You know, everybody's given the same life. It's what do you do with it? How do you make it beautiful? How do you, do you want to be the overachiever? You know, yeah, every, it's only a yard of concrete, but still... I overachieved that yard of concrete and now my piece of concrete worth 20 grand compared to your piece of concrete that's worth nothing because you jackhammered it out the next day because you didn't even do it right. But you could have, but you didn't want to. Yeah. Because you didn't want to sweat like I did. You mm-hmm. didn't want to be covered in colored stuff and just have messy clothes and everything. You wanted to just step back and just it is what it is. But if you took those extra 10 steps and went a little further, you just made an extra 20 grand in your pocket. Yeah. You, know, you can look at life like that, I guess. And the concrete dries the same speed either way, basically, it right? It all dries the same. Just what it looks like when it's done. Yep. That's really cool. Thanks for that uh, lesson. One other thing I want to dig into a little bit. You've, huh. you've, I think it's crazy. I never looked at it like that. Yeah. And I think you can develop that a little bit. I think Mm -hmm. you can develop that idea and turn it into a presentation to be kind of a motivational thing for these youth groups you're talking about or other people who are in that situation, you know, in your situation. Well, it's it's with anything, though. Yeah. I mean, you can can look at that with anything. I seen a thing on the phone the other day. Well, not the other day. It's about a month ago. Mm -hmm. But it was over... It was a picture of two different welds for well, hold on, I to lean back here. I'm losing okay. my balance. Okay. There's a, a guy, I had a picture of two different welds. 
for welding. You just welded two different pieces of metal together. One was a really nice, smooth, beautiful weld that was perfect, didn't need no grinding done. And the other one was just all, looked like bird poop. And uh, it was something on the point of a $30 an hour weld or a $15 an hour weld. What are you gonna, you know, the boss asked me for if I could weld, but he only offered $15 an hour, so this is what I give him. Mm. But if he would have gave me $30 an hour, I would have welded it like this. Well, that's not right. You shouldn't look at life like that. You shouldn't look at your work like that. It's the same thing with the concrete truck. You know, once that truck shows up, I can put it on the ground, touch it one time and call it good. It'll still be done and still hold, but it's going to look like garbage. You know, compared to that weld, you know, you're doing the same thing. You have to still weld that piece of metal together. No matter what you're making, 15 or $30 an hour, it's to still look the same to your best ability. I like that. Yeah, you know, and it's and that's true with life too. You know, you shouldn't just lay back and just let it happen. You should strive for a better life. You know, I, I want to be better. I want to get out of this wheelchair. And if I was just to give up and say, okay, this is what it is, then this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life, and I can't have it like that. I have to keep going. Mm. And just. That weld, that welding picture really threw me off that day because to be a welder for, or a concrete guy or a computer tech or whatever, whatever you want to be for a surgeon for 10 years, 20 years, and then go to go get a job as that and then to say, oh, well, I'm not going to get paid what I'm worth. I'm just going to give them half the work. Mm. Well, that ain't, you shouldn't do that, I don't believe. I think you should just jump in there head first, show them what you got, give it that 100%. You know, you might only had to do it for that $15 an hour that day, but I guarantee you the next day you're going to have more money. Yeah. You know, and that happened to me when I was pouring concrete. I started at eight, like eight bucks an hour. And it was like two weeks into it or something, maybe a month into it, we were on a job. And the boss was mad, yelling at some guy for rolling the edges on the concrete or something. And he had left me all by myself on this back porch that we were setting up. And I really didn't know what I was doing, but I knew how to swing a sledgehammer. And I knew those stakes had to be in the ground. So I knew by watching him what he was doing, he went up front to the front of the house and was yelling at the guy. So I just kept doing what he was doing the best I could. And I ended up getting the porch almost all the way set up. By the time he got back and he looked at me and he was like, wow, man, I really didn't expect this out of you. You know, I, I just assumed you were going to just sit back here and hang out until I got back. So here you go. I'm going to toss you another four bucks an hour, man. That's worth 13 bucks an hour to me. Good job, Joe. Nice. And that's, as soon as that happened and I was like two months into pouring concrete and I got a $4 raise. And I was like, holy cow, man, this is awesome. Well, now I want 20 bucks an hour. Well, that guy's making 25. I want what he's making, so I'm going to do what he's doing. Right. I'm going to run around and follow that guy and learn what he's doing instead of just kicking back and taking that 13. You know, I, I could have been at 13 bucks an hour for 10 years if I wanted to, yeah. but I didn't. I wanted 20 bucks an hour, which now is still 20 bucks an hour, still 20 bucks an hour. Right. And that's what everybody shoot for. But it's just you don't really have to do anything. You can lay back and just chill. Mm. or you can take those extra steps and 
get further in life or just sit back and do the thing that you started doing at the very beginning not go anywhere with it that makes all the difference huh mm-hmm. yeah because life's still the same exactly um, same thing if, same if thing. I'm, if I'm making $8 an hour or $20 an hour I still have to get up and you know do it the day goes by whether whether I'm you know sitting on my butt or pressing forward trying to do a little bit better huh? oh yeah or you, yeah or you can take those extra steps and try to get better Mm-hmm. Or just sit back and keep your little pocketbook that you want. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I think that is something that you can develop. Um, this this idea, this concept that we just talked about here, something you can really develop and, and create it into a bigger motivational type thing. For well, I feel that you something. need to do that today because, man, it just... I've noticed more since I've been in this chair... I look to life a lot different. Mm-hmm. There's a a lot of sad people, and I am one of them. I'm a very sad person now, mm-hmm. but I really kind of have a reason. But there's a there's a lot of people that are just sad and don't want to do anything. And I really think that something like that just to motivate people to just get up and get off your feet, you know, and do something. You know, especially with kids, the teenage kids. I got a house full of teenage kids right now. Mm-hmm. And to try to motivate them to do anything, even their own laundry, is just ridiculous. And I really think that kids need something. Yeah. Or even people in my condition, you know, because it's real hard to be here. You know, they, they need something to go and talk to. I need something to go and talk to. Yeah. You know, other than people that don't know anything about it. It's hard to talk to, in my opinion, it's hard to talk to somebody about where I'm at and what to do for where I'm at when they're not where I'm at. Someone like me? Yeah? Yeah. Well, not not so much like you, because you're not trying to sit here and tell me, okay, this is what's going to be, this is how you're going to do it. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you're only going to get this far, that you can only do this, this, and this now. Well, then you don't know. Mm-mm. You know, it's really hard to do it in, like, counseling and therapy and stuff because they're healthy people trying to tell me to do things. And it's, you don't, they don't understand, you know, the, you're not here. Mm. You don't know what it's like to stare at your foot and not be able to move it. Mm. I forgot how to move my feet. I, I don't even remember how to move my feet anymore. Mm. It's really mind-boggling sometimes. To, yeah, it's real weird. Mm. Or to move my thumb, pick my thumb. I can't remember how to pick up my thumb. Hmm. And it's something that, that your whole life you just never even Naturally, thought about. It's just yeah. like, oh, I move my thumb. Ever, you know, ever since you were a kid, you yeah. started moving parts of your body. Started sitting up, started crawling, started walking. What not obvious things did you take for granted previous that you now go, man, I really miss doing that simple but not obvious thing, you know? I wish I wouldn't have taken that for granted. Um, just the... Oh, man. What I shouldn't have took for granted. I took, I guess, I took everything for granted. Mm-hmm. And I guess, every, you know, generally, most people do. Yeah, oh, totally. Life in general, you know, just... Just be able to, when you wake up in the middle of the night and roll over, 
because you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, just I can't do that. Mm. I have to wake Teresa up to help me roll over in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, just that being able to when you wake up in the morning and just to be able to put your feet down on the floor and step out of bed mm. and stretch and you know a lot of people complain about having to get up mm-hmm. well I would love to get up freely and mm. move around in the morning and walk to the kitchen again and turn that coffee pot on or brushing your teeth you know that's another thing that we just didn't even think about it. It was just a normal thing to do. Well, now it's a hassle. Yeah. I got, how could I have help doing that? Mm-hmm. Help put the toothpaste on the toothbrush. Help to make sure the toothbrush don't fall out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's in my hand the right way. Mm-hmm. Little simple things in life like that are itching your ear. Mm-hmm. I can't reach, I can't itch, itch my right ear. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to itch my right ear yet. Mm-hmm. So I have to have help to itch the right side of my head. Mm. Um, put my clothes on. I can't, you know, can't even put my socks on. I have yeah. to do that. Just, man, the, and then obvious, the obvious things they take for granted, being able to walk and, mm-hmm. you know, bend over, grab whatever you want. And I can't, I can't hold on to anything. Mm-hmm. So just those things you take for granted, just to grab a cup and drink it. I can't, I can't grab a cup and drink it. Mm. Not to have a straw. Yeah, those are a lot of the things that I totally take for granted every day. I, I don't appreciate the 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 blessing that, that it is. Well, I did too, man. Things. I did too. Yeah. I took life for granted real to the fullest, man. I've mm-hmm. done a lot of bad things and drinking and drugs. and The amount of times that I've done things to myself that I shouldn't have done and I got away with. Mm-hmm. As simple as driving and speeding or driving drunk. You know, so many times in my life that I've drove drunk, mm-hmm. never got pulled over. I got a DUI when I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I was still in high school, right out there, the Airway Heights drag strip, on my way back from the Northtown Mall when we used to all hang out in the parking lots because we couldn't cruise Riverside no more. Right. So we started hanging out in the parking lots of the Division, drinking beers all night long, and I was driving back home. Got a DUI in Airway Heights. Spent the night in jail. Mm. And I never got a DUI again. That was the only one mm. that I ever had in my life. But I should have probably had a hundred of them. Mm. Um, how many times I've wrecked on something, even when I was a kid on a bicycle, falling off the loading docks at the post office and landing on my head and walking Mm. away from that, or, you know, diving into a swimming pool too shallow and hitting your forehead and your nose, walking away from that, or, you know, bull riding. I've been, had this stomped out of me by them bulls to where Mm. I've had bruises from top to bottom and my ribs and my head and walk away from that stuff. The trouble, the you know, the accidents that I've gotten into that I shouldn't have gotten in. You know, it's like you take all that stuff for granted because it just don't happen to you. Yeah. And you're just walking away and you feel invincible. Hmm. I felt invincible. Nothing happened to me. 
No, 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 it didn't matter. I couldn't get arrested because I never got pulled over. I right. couldn't, you know, it was, I'd never been to jail. In 30 years, I've never been to jail. Mm-hmm. You know, and all that stopped. It's yeah. all gone now. I don't take anything for granted anymore. Yeah. So how do you want your kids and grandkids and posterity moving on for generations to come to look back? Hey, Grandpa Joe, Dad, you know, <laughs> to, what, do, what do you want them to remember you for? Well, now I don't really know. Um, before, obviously, it was I was trying to be the hardworking dad, the hardworking grandpa that had it all for the kids. And, you know, I, I wanted to have that big spot out in the country, grandpas to go to. And mm-hmm. the kid, you know, that's what I wanted. I want my kids to ride dirt bikes, and I wanted them to have snowmobiles and hunt and fishing. And, and now I'm scared. Mm. You know, I don't want my kids to ride dirt bikes. I don't want them to ride snowmobiles. I don't, it scares me. Hmm. Um, now it's just, I still want to have that spot that everybody can call grandpa's. Um, I want my kids to look up to me. It's really hard right now because I feel I'm not doing anything for them to look up at. Hmm. And they don't see their hardworking dad no more that comes home covered in dirt. Or they don't get to see me out there mowing the grass and cleaning the yard all weekend anymore. Or mm. I don't get to come home and cook dinner for them anymore. Now, now I'm pretty much, they're taking care of me. Mm. So it's really hard for me to think about what I want to be now for my kids. And to keep the positive to, I know that I've put enough into them that they understand the somewhat facts of life of being hardworking, mm-hmm. you know, cause you gotta work. No matter what it is, you have to work for it. It's not gonna be given to you. You know, my kids don't, definitely don't have a spoon one of them silver spoons to eat off of, I guess you could say. Um, so they're going to have to work. And now that I'm not here to help, it's going to be hard for them. And I wish the best. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I'll be there for them no matter what. Do they ever come to you for advice? Hey, I'm really struggling here. What, what, what do you think about that? Sometimes they, they more go to mom. Yeah. Um, but they, they do. You know, because we've been through a we've been through a lot together for this last journey, this journey that we're on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely hard on my kids. Their their life's completely changed too. Yeah. You know, they don't have their wild and crazy dad running around anymore. So, just a couple more things, and I want to dig a little bit here. And I started, and then and then oh, yeah, we talked fine. about something else, which is totally worth it. You mentioned a few, several times in this conversation how you really admired how your dad got sober and that you have not been able to do that. Is that a goal in your life? Hey, you know, I want to sober up. I want to do this. Is that something that you really desire at this point or, or in a future time? Um, well, I am. I am sober right now. Oh, very cool. Um, other than uh, the medication that I take, mm-hmm. um, I do smoke pot for 
pain and mm-hmm. mental issues too. Okay. Um, but that's all I do is just the drugs that the doctor would give me. Right. Um, I haven't drank. We've been, uh, we haven't drank at all since uh, September. We've been, wow. me and Teresa have been 100% sober since September. Wow. Of drinking. Congratulations. That's um, awesome. But we only had a drink. Or that was our anniversary. We just went out and had one drink. So we've pretty much been sober for a year now. Wow. What made you Going decide to do that? Uh, well, uh, this little thing right here underneath this, me. This little wheelchair? Yeah. Um, I fought drinking. I've been drinking a lot. I've been drinking probably since I was 18. Mm-hmm. Probably daily since I was, I don't know, the last 10 years I've been drinking daily. Mm-hmm. Um. But I never really had a problem with it. I just was drunk. I was just drinking all the time. I never really had a problem. Mm-hmm. I didn't think anyway. You didn't think, right? I didn't think it was a problem. Uh-huh. Um, my biggest problem was with meth. Mm-hmm. Um, I started smoking meth when I was 22. And did it for about four years, I would say, five years. Then I went to rehab. No, I did about three years, four years. I went to rehab. Um, I finished rehab. I stayed sober for a couple of years and did it again. Stayed sober for a couple of years. You know, just battling with that, jumping back and forth, was really one of my biggest issues. Mm. Um, I'm I'm sober off of that now. July will be two years. Awesome. Um, I almost lost my family over it. Mm-hmm. Gotten to uh, me and Teresa got had a lot of problems with me doing that. Mm-hmm. I was hiding it from her. Yeah. Um, it's not anything to mess with, man. Yeah. Um, so to be able to be sober off that, I think I'll be able to do it for the rest of my life now. Um, if I wouldn't have broke my neck, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you that. Mm. Um, I was addicted to it. I fought it. I still fight it. But now that I'm broken and I can't just go get it and do what I want. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier to stay off of it now. Um, drinking just, I just, I broke my neck on a dirt bike when I was drunk. Mm. Um, I think if I wasn't drunk, I wouldn't have And to just, I tried to drink when I got out of the hospital. You know, I thought that I was just going to go right back to being Joe and drinking and partying and so what with life, but I couldn't do it. I tried it a couple of times and it just wasn't right. Yeah, I didn't feel right. Um, do you have resentments towards alcohol because of that? Like anger toward whatever alcohol in and of itself or? No. No? Hmm. I'm not. It's not the alcohol's fault. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it, cool that you see that. That was my fault. Yeah. You know, it, I, yeah, it was all my fault. I didn't, nobody told me to get drunk. Nobody told me to get on that dirt bike. I'm glad my buddy told me to put my helmet on before I left. Mm. Um, my helmet saved my life. Mm. I guess you could say it saved my life. I'm still here to have a life. Yeah. Just a little different now. Mm-hmm. So I've never, I didn't really have any anger problems with it. I do now though. Now I'm mad at myself. Mm. I get get mad at myself quite a bit, and it's really hard to deal with. Mm. I shouldn't have, uh, obviously I shouldn't have done it. 
shouldn't have been dropped on that dirt bike. So it's it's really hard to swallow it, but it makes it easier to stay sober at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think, and here I am being that counselor that has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I think that the 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 path that you're on, some of the things that you are realizing, are things that your your kids and grandkids will look at you and say, "He's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He's doing some, and he's done, and is doing some really hard things and amazing things that bring value to our lives." Yeah. So. Well, I know I, I might not be the hardworking concrete guru that I used to be, but I have worked my ass off in the last 18 months to stay alive, to stay out of that hospital, to staying awake every day. I got to the point where I didn't even want to be awake. I would rather just lay here and sleep all day. Um, it's really hard to, to wake up and not be able to do anything. Mm. It's hard to wake up every day knowing that you're going to just have to sit here and watch everybody else run around. Mm. At certain points, it's hard to just stare you know, I get I get tired of staring out the window you had a decent view out here but I can see that it would get old really quick I get, I get tired of counting cars driving by on Market Street mm-hmm. so it's really that fight that I do every single day that I mean I remember when I had hoses I mean I got scars all over my stomach mm-hmm. I still got a bag on my stomach I still got a pee hose coming out of my stomach mm-hmm. You know, I had ventilators. I had a machine that made my lungs work mm-hmm. for a couple weeks in that hospital. A month in that hospital, I was hooked up to that machine. Mm-hmm. Fighting it to where it would make me breathe. Mm-hmm. I was pretty much being kept alive on that machine. Mm-hmm. To where I got, I fought that and I got past that. They told me I was going to have a trach in my throat for the rest of my life mm-hmm. because I couldn't breathe. My lungs were paralyzed. And I fought that fight, and my kids watched me. Man, my kid, my kids have watched me die. They watched me fall out at the hospital. They watched me almost die in this house. Mm. My kids have watched me be drug out of this house in the ambulance numerous times. Mm. You know, they they know what it's like to see their dad die already, mm. and they're only teenagers. Yeah. So they're gonna see that in twenty years. You know, 30 years, when I'm 50, 70, 80 years old, and they're going to know that Grandpa Joe beat that. They're going to, you know, they're going to they're gonna have those pictures. I was looking on Facebook the other day of pictures that my daughter has on her Facebook of me when I was in the hospital and I weighed 130 pounds. And all was just skeleton. Hooked up to all these machines, just smiling away, though. Yeah. Had the biggest smile on my face, just like I was enjoying life. But I wasn't. And that fight right there to just stay positive and to stay happy about this and not just be pissed off at the world. Because I know that I can't be that way for my family. Mm. Is that enough 
to know that, that you just can't be that way for your family? Yeah. Yeah. If I wasn't for my family, I wouldn't want to be here right now. Yeah. I wouldn't want to sit in this chair if it wasn't for my daughters and Teresa. There would be no reason for me to even try to do this. So is that, if I were, well, let me ask you, what is the most important thing in life? My daughters. And what do you hope for them in their lives? I hope that they are strong enough to, and have learned enough from me and their mom that they could achieve a owned where they don't have to have support from a man hmm. because even if you have the greatest man in the world and the hardest working man in the world that does everything for you he could still fall off and ruin everything hmm. so you have to be strong to be able to take care of yourself and your family and not depend on him hmm. No matter what. And it's real important for me to see my daughters achieve that, you know? Because they might have the best man in the world, but he could break his neck tomorrow and you're going to be screwed. And are you going to be strong enough to be like your mom and do what she's done for me? Mm. I wouldn't be here without her. And I want my daughters to be that way. Because that's a strong-ass woman right there. Sorry. No, no, thank you. Any other words of wisdom or, or stories <laughs> in your life that you want to share before we close this up? Not really, man. I just, I know that I probably have just sat here and talked in circles. So, um... All I can say is to just not take life for granted ever, you know, especially if you got kids because you might think it's cool to speed through that stop sign or do whatever, man. Just get in that car after having a couple beers or stay up all night tweaking in the woods, doing what, whatever people want to do, man. You can't take it for granted because it can be taken away from you like that and your whole life gets to change and you have no control over it my whole life changed my life went from being crazy and wild and free to now I just sit in the house and do nothing hmm. it was just my choice I can get out I, I do get out I shouldn't have said that but mm -hmm. it is it's just so much different now you know it, it takes an it takes an hour for me to get out of bed and get clothes on. And then it takes another hour for me to get downstairs and get in the car to go somewhere, you know, compared to when you can just, I used to just jump up and be out of this house in five minutes. Yeah. Gone on the road, concrete's on the way, you know? Yeah. And for it to just be all taken away and have to learn it all over, it's really hard. So you just shouldn't take it for granted at all. That's really the only thing I can say. And enjoy what you got in life because, once again, it could all be taken away from you just like that. Mm. And you have no control over it. Well, thanks for sharing all that with me, Joe. I appreciate that.
Oh, I can share more. I got. Yeah, hours. what else you got? Shit, I don't know. So, so what the oh, heck let me ask you this. Let, I me, like let me do some thinking, and then yeah. we'll do some more talking later. L- let me ask you one more question that I just thought about, and I've asked several people the same question: Have you spent very much time on boats in your life? Have you ever been out on too yeah. many boats? I've been on a boat. I went you, deep sea fishing a few times. Do you have any boat stories, like something that was like crazy that happened on a boat, or or memorable no. that happened? No. Okay. Yeah, for whatever reason, I find it intriguing. A lot of people who have spent time on boats have crazy stories, mm-hmm. like a crazy storm blew up or the whole the water know, thing is different. Yeah, I remember when a kid tubing, tubing mm-hmm. out in Silver Lake, and hauling butt across the water, getting flung off the tubes. You know, mm-hmm. just more stupid stuff like that. You know how many times I came close to hitting a dock on a tube? Mm-hmm. Stupid stuff like that that just. We were skiing up at uh, Roosevelt at uh, Porcupine Bay one time, and I was watching my friend Jared. He's passed away about 10 years ago almost. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I was watching him ski. I was in the boat, and we were watching him ski, and he came in and let go. As we were coming in towards the beach, he would let go of the ski rope and just glide right into the beach on his ski all cool and standing up and just walk right into the off the water onto the sand well i thought i was gonna be cool and i was gonna try it come in the boat comes around and i let go and i'm hauling butt i let go of that rope way too late and i'm coming in and coming in as soon as them skis hit that sand i face first right into that sand all down in my face my pants everywhere it was horrible they have it on video no, see, oh, bummer. <laughs> see, that was before all the video yeah. stuff, man. I mean, if we could have had video cameras accessible like we have them right now, back yeah. when I was doing crazy oh, stuff. Oh, man. We definitely would have won some money. Yeah, I, I'm i actually kind of glad. Yeah, a lot of dumb things that, you know, I did in my life that I'm glad isn't aren't, you know, on video cameras so my kids. Right. Oh, look what Dad did. I can do that. Yeah, my kids love videotaping me now. Yeah. <laughs> they videotape me all the time, all the crazy, stupid things I do. In this, because I gotta make this fun. You know? oh, absolutely. But if I don't, I notice that if I don't make it fun, it gets to me, mm-hmm. and it gets to my family, and it just all falls apart. Yeah, it's like I'm the center of this family, the rock, I guess you could say. And I think you're doing a great. And job. everybody just revolves around me, and there's like I'm carrying everybody, but I'm really not. Does that make you feel entitled or selfish? Being the center, and and you know, uh, rightfully so, but yeah. sometimes it's like leave me alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys don't have to involve me in everything. It's like I I'm okay. I don't have to go. Mm-hmm. But in this, you know, the, I get where they're coming from too. They want me to be involved, you know, and I can't be selfish about it. Sometimes it gets on my nerves, so. But I have to be strong because I know that those kids look forward to making sure that I'm not in the hospital today when they come home from school. Yeah. You know, and that's got to be a big thought in their head mm. because they, you know, they all know that I'm so walking that thin line of being alive. Mm. I might look healthy, I might look, you know, this and that, but I'm still walking that fine line of being alive and not being alive. Mm. And they know that. So for me to stay strong every day and get up and make sure I eat the right amount of food or just do whatever. Even if I'm just getting up and putting a damn smile on my face for when my kids come home, they can hug me. 
rather than coming and laying next to me in bed because I was lazy that day. Mm. They would much rather see me up in these wheelchairs and they could race me in that one or, yeah, you know, do whatever. Just simple little stuff like that that they look up to rather than before it was look at my dad he's cool he's look at what he can do look at this look at that you know now it's not that way now they just have to hope then you go back to that hope Mm -hmm. what do I hope for yeah I hope that my kids come home every day with a smile on their face happy to see me and that gives me that drive to motivate myself to get up every day it don't work all the time mm-hmm. sometimes I hate the world and I just want everybody to leave me alone shut my door mm-hmm. just let me sit here and die mm-hmm. and I've said that numerous times mm-hmm. you know I just don't even want to be here no more just let me die why am I even here what's the point of me to be alive anymore I don't have a reason to be alive other than to sit in this dang wheelchair and it's hard to find that reason for me to stay alive every single day in my brain. Yeah. That works great. There's nothing wrong with it. As hard as I hit my head out there on that concrete curb, there ain't a dang thing wrong with my brain. Yeah. It's all still here. And I think the things that you mentioned earlier, hey, maybe go to school, become a counselor, those types of things are, are, are really cool and inspirational, actually. I, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of things you've shared here relating life to concrete I think these are all very inspirational things that uh, will help they help me and they'll help a lot of people I think so I really I've gotten something there's I've always looked at life like there's a reason for everything there's a reason why stuff happens mm-hmm. and especially now that I'm sitting here there's a reason for me to be in this chair and I haven't found it yet so I'm still looking for it whether it's being a counselor, whether it's being a foster parent and buying a bigger house and adopting 20 damn kids. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I was meant to be a stay-at-home dad. Mm. And there was no way to hold me down other than making me wreck that damn dirt bike. You know, there's a reason why I'm here. Uh, maybe I was living life too fast, and the only way I can ever slow down was to be put right here. Mm. You know, who knows? And we'll put turbos on this this thing. And That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. I've seen the video the other day. I watch a lot of videos. It's all right. I do is watch videos. <laughs> but I've seen the video the other day. This dude had one just screaming fast, like 50 miles an hour on this oh, thing. Oh, man. Sliding sideways around all the dirt corners. <laughs> like, yeah, I need one. Uh, they got one that's on tracks, too. Oh, Like nice. snowmobile tracks, one on each side. Oh, nice. You go wherever you want. Nice. Well, very cool. Well, Joe, I really have enjoyed this conversation, and I'll, I'm going to, unless you have any other. I can't think of anything else to say other than thank you for your time. Well, there you have it. Some great words of advice and some very interesting and harrowing life stories from Joe Harding. I walked away from that conversation a few months back feeling lifted and feeling grateful, really, for the blessings in my life. And even now, months later, I look back at this and listen to it again and have those same feelings. And I have become a better person because of this conversation and because of getting to know Joe a little better. Now, before I get on to the In Their Own Words segment of 
the Journey Through Life podcast. Once again, I just want to remind you to go check out our partners, A Life Untold and Shepherd Brackets, and also to go check us out on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and follow us and like us. And if you would be so willing and so generous to go rate and review us on the podcast app of your choice. And I think that's about it. Now on to In Their Own Words. This is a story, once again, by my grandfather, Clyde Taylor Higginson. And this is about a rodeoing experience he had back in 1939. And I'll just go ahead and read that right now. It's called Jumpin' Jack. It was the last day of the Pendleton Roundup in Oregon in 1939. My good friends, Ted Crockett and Swede Lundy, were riding amateur saddle broncs there. Having no luck in the draw, I drew two old plow horses that didn't even get off the ground. My two pals didn't do much better. Ted's bronc, Old Dollar, kicked him on both cheeks, not on the face either, as he sailed off the back end after a yard of buck rain had been pulled through his calloused hand. So none of us had made any money, and we was concerned about eating. While pacing along the chutes, a burly stock contractor was shouting, Anyone here want to ride this bull for ten dollars? Ten dollars? I didn't even wonder why no one took him up on the offer. It finally dawned on me shortly thereafter. Get me a bull rope, and I'll ride that old dog, I shouted with great glee to the contractor, not even looking to see what it was in the chute to ride. At that time, bull riding was not a standard event at Pendleton, so this was an exhibition ride, with sure money, no matter what happens. Up above the top of the chute gate, we envisioned a set of antlers, the likes of which I had never before seen, and have never seen since. We guesstimated them to be nearly four feet tall, lyre-shaped, and the bottoms were firmly anchored to a big red Brahma Texas Longhorn Cross. Here, get this rope on him, and don't take all day, exclaimed the bleary-eyed stock contractor, not wanting me to change my alleged mind. Ted hooked the bull rope, and I straddled the critter, and that bull never made a bit of fuss in the chute. He was probably making plans for that dude unaware. Pull her tight, Ted, as I settled into place on his heavy-muscled back. Everything seemed to be in order as I shouted to the gate man. Outside! The gate swung open, and a lot of beef went sailing toward the sky. Whew! This is the highest jumping beast I've ever been on, I thought. About the third jump, the crowd started screaming, clapping as we gyrated skyward in increasingly higher jumps. Well, this is a great sport. I'll just spur him a little. My spurs started to tickle his ribs every jump, and then, blotto! When I came to... The doctor was knitting one and purling two on my left eyebrow after dragging me back to the chutes. What happened, says I to Ted, as he and the doctor bent to their work on my prostrated frame. That bull whipped his horns around as he turned his head sideways at the top of that tall jump. Does that every year to some luckless greenhorn. They call him Old Jumpin' Jack, exclaims Ted, as he stuffs that $10 bill in my pocket. Then... It dawns on me. (laughs) I just love the way my grandpa wrote and shared his stories like this. And I'm so grateful to have them in this form and now to be able to share them with people who 
may or may not care about the stories, but it matters to me. And I hope that it's something that brings a chuckle to your heart or cause some reflection in your own life. Now, if you have any stories like this written by someone who's related to you who has passed on, I would love to include them in a future episode of, or a future segment of In Their Own Words in the Journey Through Life podcast. So if you've got something like that, just send me an email at the JTL podcast at gmail.com, or you can go right to my website, jtlpod.com, and submit it through there. I would love to hear them. Anyways, I'm grateful once again to be able to share these stories, and that is in their own words, and this was the Journey Through Life podcast. Mm-hmm.